podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. What's good, boys and girls? Welcome to the Two-Footed Podcast. On Tuesday, the 16th of February, we are brought to you by EPLindex.com in association with our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider, so check out their services at libertyshield.com and use the code EPLVPN to get 20% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, giftware and homework company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out Home of Hopcroft. .co.uk. Right, folks, two games last night. First up, West Ham 3, Sheffield United 0. Great win for the Hammers. At the time, put them into fourth place in the league. They went 1-0 up through a Declan Rice penalty after Jesse Lingard was stupidly fouled by Chris Basham, despite the fact he was moving away from goal. Uh, Declan Rice converts the penalty after a little bit of a, a to-and-fro with, with with Lingard over who was going to take it, but a well-taken penalty and a well-deserved lead for West Ham. Issa Diop made it 2-0 in the 58th minute with a good header from a corner. And at that point, it was game over. Sheffield United had some good possession, played some nice football in the middle third of the field, but didn't really create anything of, of real threat. They did manage five shots on target, but you never felt like they were going to score. You never felt like Fabianski was overly stretched. And then Ryan Fredericks made it 3-0 to the Hammers uh, six minutes into stoppage time. All in all, it was a pretty comfortable win for West Ham. They let Sheffield United have the ball when they didn't need it, when they were 2-0 up and cruising. I think for the Blades, it's, you know, it's curtains for them. They've played 24, they've got 11 points. They're 14 points from safety. The goals for them now, don't finish bottom and try and get yourself as far from the derbies and Sunderlands of the world as possible. Keep your FA Cup run going and just hope that you end the season on something of a high and can carry that into next season because they're not going to survive. I mean, they're seven points off Fulham who are 18th, and Fulham have a game in hand. 14 points off Newcastle, 15 off Burnley and Brighton. It's it's a mountain they're not going to be able to climb. The lack of goals, only 15 scored this season. Conceding too many, 40 conceded on the season so far. You know, they just, they haven't had a cutting edge the big money buys of the summer, Ramsdale and goal, Brewster up front, neither of them have worked. Ramsdale is maybe rescuable if they get him into the championship and they can work with him for a couple of seasons more, especially in the championship where they're going to be one of the better teams. 
And he's not going to be constantly facing the barrage of shots that he's facing with a bottom club. Like, at Bournemouth and at Sheffield United, they're losing games constantly. They're being outplayed constantly. He's been out overworked constantly. If he's at a top club, maybe that changes. That was a big part in Dean Henderson's development, was being able to play behind a pretty dominant team. So maybe that, that will work at Ramsdale. Maybe that will work. Um, Brewster absolutely will be fine, I think. I think once if they go into the championship with him up front, I think he will start scoring goals. He's missed stages in his development. He missed nearly a full year while at Liverpool because of injuries. He never had a full season on loan. So he's never played a full season of games. He's very, very talented. This season has been an absolute disaster for him. And it's hard to know what the best thing to do with him now is. Do you play him through the end of the season and hope that he can get minutes, get reps, get goals, build confidence? Or do you maybe take him out of the firing line a little bit and start work, working with him more on the training ground? It's hard to know what the best approach is with a player like that. He's very, very talented. They overpaid for him, but he's very, very talented. And I think if they keep hold of him and Lise Massette, they'll go down into the championship with arguably the best strike force in the championship. Um, they'll need some work in midfield. They definitely need some work in, in defence. But the bones of something really good are there. It's the same team that came up two years ago. So they've proven they can get promoted from that league. They've got an excellent manager. They'll be fine long term. I can see them going down to come back up. I think they'll they'll spend money as well because they've got ambitious owners. They're fairly financially secure as far as they can, can make out. And it's a city that demands a Premier League team. It's a city that deserves a Premier League team. Sheffield is a huge, huge city. Unfortunately, Wednesday are, you know, fighting relegation in the championship. When I was growing up, Wednesday were a Premier League team. United would jump in and out of the division, mostly out. Um, but both are Premier League standard, Premier League size clubs. They have big fan bases. Um, it'll be a shame to lose them because they were so much fun last year. This season, they haven't been fun at all. Hopefully, they go down. Wilder makes the right tweaks. They come back up, and they come back up a better team. The second game of the evening, then. Sorry, I should point out. West Ham, fourth in the league after this game ended. An absolutely brilliant achievement for them to be that high in the table after 24 games. They're two points ahead of Liverpool now. They sit fifth. They've won three of their last five. This is the best possible season they could have had. Played 24, 1-12, drawn 6, lost 6. Exactly the same as Chelsea, who spent $230 million in the summer or whatever it was. Uh, a win more than Liverpool. A win more than Everton. A win more than Aston Villa, who spent a fortune. Two wins more than Spurs. Two wins more than Arsenal. 
David Moyes is the manager of the year so far. There can be no doubt that David Moyes is the manager of the year so far. Talk about outperforming expectations. Like, I know I picked them to struggle, but I wasn't the only one. Most people picked them to struggle. And they've done anything but struggle. They've been fantastic. From week three onwards, they've been fantastic. They started poorly. Defeat to Newcastle, defeat to Arsenal. Since then, they've just been, they've been great. Like I say, Moisey's the manager of the year. Who thought we'd be saying that in 2021? Anyone who says they did is telling lies. Second game, Chelsea 2, Newcastle 0. A bit of a nothing game, really. Chelsea dominated proceedings in the first half. Uh, Oli Giroud scored. Uh, Timo Werner crossed that Carol Darlow made a bit of a mess of. Dropped to Giroud and, and Giroud slammed home from about 10 yards out with a left-footed volley. And then Werner, with the scuffiest, scruffiest goal, finally ends the drought. It's exactly the type of goal he needed. Just one over the line. Build your confidence. He played quite well last night, it must be said. He did miss two good chances before he scored. Hopefully for Chelsea and for him, he can go on a little bit of a run now and start scoring some more goals because he is a very good player. It's his first season in a new league. He arrived for big money with far too high expectations from Chelsea fans. And um, he's finally playing under a real manager. He had a great manager at Leipzig in Nagelsmann. And now he has a great manager at Chelsea in, in Thomas Tuchel. I think Tuchel will get the most of them. Last night, used him on the left but tucked in of a front three, the exact same role he played at Leipzig. And wouldn't you know, he scores and plays well. Uh, maybe he's not a number nine or a left winger, Frank. Maybe that's just what it is. Uh, Chelsea move up to fourth. The turnaround under Tuchel has been has been great. A draw on four wins on the bounce. Now, they have been aided by the fact that Liverpool have lost three in a row. But where they were when he took over to where they are now, it is it is really good. He hasn't changed things massively. What you can see very clearly a defined defensive shape and structure and a defined attacking style of play. Patterns of play emerging all over the pitch. Partnerships developing. Last night, they played some really good football at times. It's going to take quite a bit of time for him to get them playing exactly how he wants. We probably won't see it till next season. He'll want pre-season. He'll want a couple of new players in. But what he's done in a short period of time is really, really impressive. And look, he inherited a tremendous squad. A squad that many of them had won the Europa League two years ago and finished third. Then they finished fourth under Frank last season, despite the fact that they were managed by Frank. So it's not like he inherited, and, and then they spent all that money in the summer. It's not like he inherited a bad team. It's not like Frank was been burdened with a bad team and was somehow holding them in mid-table by himself. They were underperforming under Frank Lampard. The reason Lampard got so much credit the year before is because 
they didn't regress as much as people expected them to under him. Again, Europa League winners, third place. They did lose Hazard, but they get Tammy Abraham back off loan, Mason Mount back off loan, and Christian Pulisic, who they bought in the January. So the drop-off wasn't what people made it out to be. The fact they went from third to fourth, less points, more goals conceded, that was on Frank, not on the players. The players were more than good enough to do better. The players were good enough to finish second last season. But Frank got credit for keeping them in the top four because the expectation was, well, you know, he didn't exactly set the world on fire at Derby. So what we're expecting here is that they finish sixth. And you had Chelsea fans announcing that the club was dying because their privilege is absolutely off the charts. For a club that nearly did die in the early 2000s and were irrelevant for years until the mid-90s, the the level of privilege is is incredible. And it is mostly among younger fans, the social social media era of fans. But... Chelsea don't have a God-given right to win things. Regardless of Roman's money, they're just another club. Uh, They're one of the big six. They're not the big one. And they're certainly not the biggest of the big six or the best of the big six. They've had great teams since Roman arrived. Before that, they had a couple of good teams and lots and lots of dreck before that. Chelsea should remember where they came from, not what they are. Um... Tuchel's doing a good job. He'll continue to go do a good job. He's a good manager. For Newcastle, it's another defeat. Um, they sit 17th, seven points ahead of Fulham. Fulham do have a game in hand, which I believe is against Burnley. I think I'm right in saying that. Um, it is. It's against Burnley, and it is tomorrow night. Um, if Fulham win that game... now. It'll be a tough game, it's away. But if Fulham were to win that game, they would close the gap, obviously, to four points. And then you'd have to start getting twitchy if you're a Newcastle fan. You really would have to start getting twitchy. Defensively, they've conceded too many goals. They've lost far too many games. 13 defeats this season. Only the bottom two have lost more. Um, And only Leeds and... West Brom have conceded more. Sheffield United have conceded the exact same amount. Oh, and Crystal Palace, excuse me, have conceded more as well. But Crystal Palace got beat seven by Liverpool. Leeds got beat six by United. Uh, West Brom got walloped by most teams. Newcastle haven't really been walloped at all this season. They've just conceded too many goals each game. Um... It's hard to know what the best thing is for Newcastle. If they went down, at least Mike Ashley would spend money to bring them back up because that's what he's done in the past. If they stay up, which they'd obviously prefer to stay up, maybe they get another year of Steve Bruce. Now, I listened to Monday Night Football last night, and first of a couple of points I want to make on that, is Gary Neville talking about Newcastle, and he said, oh, but nobody talks about Brighton and Burnley anymore. Brighton and Burnley, they're just as bad as Newcastle. They've, you know, they're only one point clear of them and all this kind of stuff. And 
it got me thinking, like, it is true. More people talk about Newcastle and the potential for them to get relegated than talk about Brighton or Burnley. But if you look at the last 10 games, Burnley have taken 13 points. Brighton have taken 14 points. Newcastle have taken seven from their last 10 games. Fulham have taken more points than them in the last 10 games. Brighton and Burnley started that 10-game period well below Newcastle. They've now passed them. Brighton and Burnley are moving in the right direction. They're moving away from trouble. Newcastle are galloping towards trouble. Now, they did win a couple of games, obviously, recently, and that did help kind of slow what seemed like an all-out assault on a place in the championship. The wins over uh, Southampton and Everton did seem to, you know, somewhat right the ship. But their form is unsustainable. You can't play this badly over a 10-game period and hope to stay up. And it's not just 10 games. Like, it is, it is more than that. You can go back to... I think like week eight, and if you take the points from week eight, Fulham and, uh, or sorry, Burnley and Brighton have substantially more points than Newcastle. Newcastle had a decent start to the season and have largely been poor for two thirds of the games so far. The other reason Gary Neville doesn't criticize Newcastle is that his mate is in charge. I mean, Steve Bruce is his friend. When Gary Neville came into the team at Manchester United, the man stood to his left at right side centre back was Steve Bruce. Steve Bruce guided him through his his early years at United. Gary Neville owes him quite a lot, so that's part of why he won't criticise him. Fulham have taken nine points from their last ten, and they've only won once, but they've also only lost three times. Now, the last day of the season, we'll see Newcastle play Fulham. They drew earlier this season as part of Fulham's five draws in a row. They got quite lucky to get a point on the day, Newcastle. They play last day of the season. That game could decide it all. That would be fun. It'd be horrendous for the fans, but it would be fun for everybody, for their fans, I should say, but it'd be fun for everybody else. You look at Newcastle, through the first 12 games, they won five. In the last 13, they've won one. They've won two. They drew two of the first 12. They've drawn two of the last 13. They've taken eight points from 13 games, haven't taken 17 from the first 12. That's why people are talking about them as more of a relegation candidate than Burnley or Brighton, because Burnley and Brighton started badly and have turned things around. Burnley have done really well after the first six, seven games. Brighton have done really well in the last 10 to 12 games. Newcastle have fallen off a cliff in the last 13 games. Bounced out of the FA Cup, bounced out of the EFL Cup. Everything has gone wrong for Newcastle. 
since mid-December. Things were looking quite good in mid-December. 12th of December, Newcastle 2, West Brom 1. From there, in their next nine Premier League games, they lost seven and drew two. And in that time period, they also got thrown out, or bounced out of both cups. Six weeks without a win. Then they beat Everton. Lost at home to Crystal Palace. Then they beat Southampton. Lost to Chelsea last night. That's why people are talking about Newcastle as relegation contenders and not Burnley and Brighton. Yes, they're only a point ahead, but they're moving in the right direction. Their form is really good. Newcastle are moving the wrong direction and their form is terrible. I also wanted to ask those games are done, so we'll we'll move on. Um, there's two games tomorrow night, none tonight, Champions League tonight, Liverpool, Leipzig. Don't watch it, Liverpool will lose. Um, I watched most of Monday Night Football last night, and it's a couple of interesting things that I wanted to, to mention. Uh, number one, in, in that Chelsea-Newcastle uh, game, Thomas Tuchel picked Kepa to start in goal over Mendy. And he kept a clean sheet. He made a couple of good saves. I, I thought he did quite well overall. And yet, Carragher and Neville, who played a massive part in the swell of negativity towards Kepa, continued to write him off and say that, oh, it won't last long. He'll be out of the team again soon. That's not their job as pundits. It's not their job to disparage a young... Like, he's not a young player, he's 26. It's not their job to disparage a player because of a price tag or because they don't like him. It's their job to analyze what's gone wrong. Carragher's guilty of this. Carragher also announced that he wrote off Victor Lindelof after a couple of months in the Premier League. This is a man who's fondled himself over Dejan Lovren and Connor Cody, both of whom are awful defensively. And yet he wrote off Lindelof, who's a much better defender than either of them after a couple of months. He's got years of watching Cody, knows he's not good, but bigs him up all the time anyway. Maybe it. Connor Cody may be his son. That's all I'm saying. He may be his son. Um, and the Lovren thing will always be funny. It was Carragher who, re- who recommended him to Liverpool. Based on three games that he'd seen. He put him in his team of the year. And then admitted he'd seen him three times. For Southampton that season. And yet he wrote off Lindelof after a couple of months. So Carragher and Neville had a conversation last night about Maguire and Lindelof as a pairing. And Neville said it perfectly. Lindelof's biggest problem is Maguire. Maguire's biggest problem is Lindelof. They're not compatible as a pair. Individually, they're both good. Neither are great. One of them needs to be replaced. The problem United have is that Lindelof is the easier one to find a partner for. But Maguire cost 80 million. You can put Lindelof next to pretty much anybody with a decent amount of pace and he'll be fine. 
you have to put Maguire with a very specific type of defender. Maguire should be a front foot lead defender. He should be the one that goes to clear and win everything. He refuses to step out for aerials and to meet runners because he's terrified of getting turned because he's got no recovery pace. What you need is someone that can sweep in front and behind him and basically hold his hand. He's an £80 million centre-back and he needs a very specific type of partner to enable him to play for Manchester United. You could put him at Burnley and he'd be fine next to anybody because they're going to sit a deep line. That's why he was fine at Leicester next, uh, under Claude Puel because Puel was happy with a deeper line. Sit him and Johnny Evans deep. It's fine. But at United, they want to play a higher line. They want to play a more aggressive, pro progressive style of football. And he's not capable of doing it. You couldn't rock up to Anfield and defend the halfway line with Harry Maguire the way you could with Vidic, Ferdinand, before them, Stam and Janssen, Pallister and Bruce. And let's be clear, Vidic wasn't the quickest. Ronnie Janssen was pretty quick. But not lightning. Stam was like Stam was a, was a monster, and Steve Bruce wasn't quick. But they read the game so well, and they were brave enough that they were happy to play that bit higher. Maguire doesn't have that bravery to his game. He doesn't read the game well enough. He's a good defender. When everything's nice and compact, he's got his fullback tucked in next to him. His centre-back is touched tight. Nice deep line. Everything in front of him. Harry Maguire is fine in that scenario. United can't win the league playing like that. They could try and become just an uber-counter-attacking team, but I don't know that it would work for them. They certainly don't have the midfielders to do it. And to play like that, you'd really be writing off playing Bruno Fernandes, who's their best player. They'd be better off buying a partner for Lindelof. But they paid £80 million for Maguire. They've already got the issue of Paul Pogba to address. £89 million wasted, plus whatever in wages. They've got to make a decision. Do they sell him this summer? Do they keep him till next summer and let him go on a free? Or do they give him a new contract at a, at a higher wage that he hasn't earned? And be stuck with him for however long? As if he hasn't been enough of a distraction already. As if he's done anything to suggest he's worthy of how much of a pain in the backside he must be. Now they're going to have the same problem with Maguire. Carragher suggested, and I don't disagree with him, that they have the same issue in goal. De Gea hasn't been good enough the last two and a half seasons. He's on £350,000 a week. He's got like three years left on his contract. Now, they have a, a really talented number two in Dean Henderson, but we don't know if he's good enough to play for United yet. Not if they want to win titles. So what do you do? 
do you bench De Gea now, as Carragher has suggested, and play Henderson for the rest of the season? You could do. don't know how De Gea is going to take it. Do you just go out in the summer and buy a new goalkeeper? Maybe, but who? There's not a surplus of world-class goalkeepers at the moment, and there's certainly not a surplus of world-class goalkeepers who are available. So you can't be certain you're getting someone in who's immediately going to be better than De Gea or Henderson. And if you haven't given Henderson the opportunity, you won't know what he is. But can you really bench De Gea when he's on that kind of money? And if you do bench him, then what do you do with him? Do you sell him? Maybe you sell him in the summer. I don't know what you'd get for him. He's going to want similar wages wherever he goes. Because why wouldn't he? He's only 30 years of age. He's not going to take a big pay cut. The clubs he would probably look at to go to, Real Madrid, they've got Thibaut Courtois. I think they're quite happy with their goalkeeping situation. Atletico Madrid have Jan Oblak, who's the best goalkeeper in the world. Barca have Marc-Andre Ter Stegen, who's top three. I don't see where he goes. Could he go to PSG, maybe? Take over from Keylor Navas? Maybe. Maybe he could do that. They'd pay him. Would he want to go there? I've no idea. Would he want to go to Italy? Inter might need a new goalkeeper. Handanovic is getting up there in age. AC Milan could do with a new goalkeeper if, if Donnarumma decides to leave. He's probably the one United could go and get. Now, he's not world-class yet, and he's going to make mistakes, but he is exceptionally talented. Juventus could do with an upgrade on Szczesny, but at this point, I don't know if De Gea is an upgrade. Juventus are the only ones that would pay him close to what he's earning now. The other, the Milan clubs wouldn't. There's nowhere in Germany for him to go. The only one that would pay him that kind of money is Bayern, and they've got Nauer, and they've got Nubel as the, as the long-term succession. United won't let him go within the Premier League, you'd imagine. So it's hard to know where he will go. His contract runs till 2023, so he'll have two years left after this one. So do United just take that as a sunk cost and pay him £350,000 a week for two years to have him as the as the backup? What do you do with Dean Henderson? Do you loan him for two years? Do you sell him? United have massive questions to answer over De Gea, Maguire, and Pogba. And they all need to be answered this summer. While having this conversation, Neville made the point of how teams should be built from goalkeeper, centre-back. Now, I believe it's goalkeeper, centre-backs, holding midfielder. I think that diamond is what you build title-winning teams on. I've been saying that for years. My good friend Lubo has questioned whether that's true or not. So I thought, we'll go and we'll have a quick look. We'll look at the Premier League winners from 92-93 
up till now. Manchester United 92-93. Peter Schmeichel in goal. Steve Bruce, Gary Pallister as the holding midfielders. Paul Ince as the, sorry, as the centre-backs and Paul Ince as the holding midfielder. That diamond was brilliant. Every one of them was great in their role. 93-94. Again, it's Schmeichel. Again, it's Bruce. Again, it's Pallister. This time, it's Roy Keane. Next to Paul Ince. Again, this is brilliant. This is even better. Roy Keane is the best the Premier League has seen in that role. Schmeichel may well be the best goalkeeper the Premier League has seen. Pallister and Bruce were, were great defenders. Ince, very, very good. The personality and some of the nonsense when he became a manager and how poor of a manager he was kind of spoiled the view of him. As a player, Paul Ince was great. For United, for Inter Milan, he was great. Not so much for Liverpool. We'd forget about that. For United, he was great. Uh, 93, sorry, 94-95, Blackburn Rovers win the league. Tim Flowers in goal, top-class goalkeeper. Colin Hendry and Henning Berg at centre-back. Excellent defenders. David Batty and Tim Sherwood as the holding midfielders. Pick either one. Both of them were very good. Sherwood was the better footballer. Batty probably the better ball winner. Batty was a bit more like a like a B-Tech Kante. A little bit more of a destroyer. Batty, uh, Sherwood was the one that sat. So take him as the holding midfielder. That's excellent. Colin Hendry was, is one of the best defenders the Premier League has seen. Henning Berg was an excellent defender. Tim Flair is a top-class goalkeeper. Manchester United, 95-96. Again, it's Peter Schmeichel in goal. Again, it's Steve Bruce, it's Pallister, and it's Roy Keane. There's just no way to argue that that's not a very, very good diamond of defensive players. 96-97. Again, Schmeichel, Pallister. Bruce has moved on at this point. You've got David May, who was a solid defender, but Ronnie Janssen is the one here. Ronnie Janssen and Pallister as the starting pair, both excellent defenders. And again, it's Roy Keane as the holding midfielder. 97-98. Arsenal win the league. David Seaman in goal. There can be no doubt that David Seaman was one of the best goalkeepers the Premier League has ever seen. Tony Adams is one of the centre-backs. For me, a top five centre-back in the Premier League era. And either Steve Bold, who's very, very good, or Martin Keown, who might be the best man-to-man marker the league has seen as his partner. And in front of them, it's Patrick Vieira. And would anyone like to argue about Patrick Vieira? I didn't think so. We'll move on. 98-99. This is the year United win the treble. Schmeichel's in goal. Keane is the holding midfielder. Ronnie Janssen and Yap Stam. There can be no arguments on this one. Janssen did miss half the season, but they had Henningberg, who'd previously won a title with 
uh, with Blackburn. United were good. They were good there. 99-2000. Uh, Schmeichel is gone. Now, this year, United don't have the great goalkeeper. But they do have Yapstam. They do have Roy Keane. Henningberg played heavily. Mikhail Sylvester came in, played quite a bit. Bosnich was the goalkeeper for most of the season. Now, Mark Bosnich was, was very, very good. He wasn't a great goalkeeper, but he was a very good goalkeeper. But you still had two world-class pillars in Stam and Keane. 2000-2001, Fabian Barthez is in goal. Again, you've got Stam. He does miss quite a bit of the season, admittedly. But he's still there. Sylvester's there. He's a quality defender. And obviously, Roy Keane in midfield. 2001-2002, Arsenal win the league again. You've got David Seaman once again as the goalkeeper. You've got Vieira as the holding midfielder. And you've got Keown, Adams, and Saul Campbell as your three centre-backs. And again, Saul Campbell, for those that don't remember is one of the best defenders the Premier League has ever seen. If I was putting together an all-time Premier League team, Saul Campbell starts in my team. Vieira Seaman. Unbelievable team. 2002-2003 Manchester United. Again, you've got Barthez. Defence was questionable this season. Keane, Keane was still brilliant. Keane was the holding midfielder. But again, he had some injury problems that year. Um, this is the one Manchester United team you could point at and say, maybe not the strongest. But they did have an emerging Rio Ferdinand that they bought for a huge fee. And Laurent Blanc, who was at the end of his career, but could still read the game incredibly well. So while Keane wasn't there for a big part of the season, Nicky Butt played quite a bit. And Nicky Butt was a good player. This is the one United team I don't think was elite in the diamond, but still very, very good. Still very, very good. Oh, three or four, you have the unbeaten Arsenal team. I still think it's the best team the Premier League has seen because they went unbeaten. I don't care that they drew a bunch of games. They went unbeaten. Nobody beat them that season. Jens Lehmann, very, very good goalkeeper. Colo Toure and Saul Campbell at centre-back. Patrick Vieira. Actually, Vieira played box-to-box mid midfield that season. The holding midfielder was Gilberto Silva, who's one of the best defensive midfielders the game has ever seen. 04-05 Chelsea. Peter Cech in goal. John Terry and Ricardo Carvalho. Carvalho would start in my all-time Premier League team next to Campbell. And the small matter of Claude McAlealy as your holding midfielder. Do we need to talk about that team anymore? No, we'll just move on. The following year, it's exactly the same. It's Czech, it's Carvalho, it's Terry, it's McAlealy. 06-07, United win the title again. Edwin van der Sar in goal. Rio Ferdinand and Nemanja Vidic. As the centre-backs. Fairly decent pair. I think we'll all agree. And Michael Carrick sitting in front of them. And while Michael Carrick's not a defensive midfielder. 
his positional sense, his defensive awareness were as good as anybody. He developed into a fantastic player, sitting in front of the centre-backs, picking the ball up, picking passes, getting them moving, but defensively, more than comfortable. He went and played centre-back at times and did a really good job. Not like Jordan Henderson, who looks like a chicken with his head cut off. Carrick was really good at centre-back. Michael Carrick was great sitting in front of the defence. So Van der Sar, Ferdinand, Vidic, Carrick. I think we're all quite happy with that one. The following year, it's exactly the same. It's Van der Sar, it's Ferdinand, it's Vidic, and it's Michael Carrick. 08-09, United win it again, third time in a row. Again, it's Van der Sar. Rio misses a bit of time that year, but Vidic is still there. Carrick is still there. They've got solid backups like Wes Brown, John O'Shea, Johnny Evans, who can come in and fill in for them when they need it. 09-10, Chelsea win the league. Again, they've got Peter Cech as a goalkeeper. They've got Ricardo Carvalho and John Terry. At centre-back. They've got Michael Essien. Playing defensive midfield. With John Obi Mikel. Now Mikel. Fairly average player. Unfortunately didn't have the career he was expected to have. Much better for Nigeria than he ever was. At club level. But Michael Essien is one of the best midfielders. The Premier League has seen. 10-11. United win the league. Van der Sar again. Ferdinand again, Vidic again, Carrick again. This group is as good as any. 11-12 Manchester City. Joe Hart is the goalkeeper. Vincent Company and Colo Toure are the centre-backs. I think we're all fairly happy with that. Gareth Barry played holding midfield. Now, Gareth Barry wasn't a great player, but he was a good player. He was a good defensive midfielder. He was a clever player, good positional sense. Should point out, Jolien Lescott was actually the first choice partner for, for company. And Lescott was, again, he was decent. He wasn't tremendous, but he was decent. But it's still a strong group. There's not one of those players you'd look at and think, well, he's a liability. Manchester United won it in 12-13, their last Premier League title to date. David De Gea was the goalkeeper. Again, you had Ferdinand, you had Vidic, you had Carrick. Manchester City in 13-14. Joe Hart again as the goalkeeper. Company. He's just... A rock for them all season. Dimichaelis plays next to most of the year. Dimichaelis was a solid citizen at centre-back. Along the lines of a Henningberg. Not spectacular but won't let you down. And Fernandinho arrives to play holding midfield. I think we'll all agree he's been rather good in that position. 14-15. 
Chelsea win the title with Mourinho back in town. The goalkeeper is Thibaut Courtois. The backup goalkeeper is Peter Cech. That's how good this team was. He's got John Terry and Gary Cahill as the centre-back pairing and Nemanja Matic in front of them. I think we'll all agree that's that's really strong. Branislav Ivanovic plays some games at centre-back when Cahill is out. At the time, Ivanovic was a monster. He's not, not like he is now where he's just passed his best and needs to retire. He was great at the time. Uh, then we have the outlier. The most mental season in Premier League history. Leicester City win the title. Schmeichel's a good goalkeeper. Not a great goalkeeper. Uh, I would say, the not to be disparaging, but the worst goalkeeper to win the Premier League as a regular starter. Kasper Schmeichel. I think Flowers was better, Lehman was better, and then there's, I don't think there's any question about the others, um, most of them multiple-time winners. Wes Morgan, I mean, okay, not great. Robert Hoot, okay, not great. Danny Drinkwater, okay, not great. That season is the outlier for everything in Premier League history. For everything. That that team could win the Premier League is just, I mean, they, they dropped points in 15 games. They won the league with 81 points. That was the weirdest season in Premier League history. Until this one, of course, until this one. But that's the outlier. Because in 16-17, it's Conte's Chelsea. Again, they've got Thibaut Courtois on goal. He's playing a back three. He's got Matic as the holding midfielder next to Kante. He's got Gary Cahill, David Luiz. And for the life of me, I can't remember who the third one was. Oh, Cesar Aspilicueta played the, the, was the third centre-back that year. He's very, very good. Cahill, good, not great. Louise in the three was brilliant. He was arguably footballer of the year that year. And Aspilicueta, at the time, probably the best pure defender in the league. Great goalkeeper, great holding midfielder. Manchester City in the 17-18 season. Ederson, the goalkeeper. Um... There's not much to say about him. Company, Stones, Laporte, used as centre-backs, Otamendi. Not the best group, but when you have either Company or Laporte there, you've got a great centre-back in the team. Otamendi, look, he, he was what he was. At, at the time that season, he was quite good. But again, you've still got Fernandinho in front. You've got, a, you've got a very good goalkeeper, a great centre-back, whether it's company or Laporte, and you've got Fernandinho as the holding midfielder. You've also got Pep Guardiola as the manager, so you never give the ball away. 
The following season for City, again, it's Ederson as the goalkeeper. Again, it's company. Laporte plays pretty much every game. We play 17 of them with company. That's a great pairing. Fernandinho, again, as the holding midfielder. It's sensational. That is a sensational group. Liverpool, 19-20. Alisson Becker, one of the best goalkeepers in the world. Virgil van Dijk, the best centre-back in the world. Joe Gomez or Joel Matip next to him. Two very good defenders. And Fabinho, the best defensive midfielder in the world that season, in front of them. And look at City this year. Ederson. Ruben Diaz has been incredible all season. John Stone's having the best season of his career. Americ Laporte's still there, still great. And Rodri is fantastic. There's one season across the entirety of the Premier League where that diamond has not been excellent in the, cha- in the, pre- in the Premier League champions. One season. So... If you want to be a contrarian and you want to act like, oh, it's all about goals winning titles, you can fire away and do it, but you're talking out of your backside. There's a reason for generations across all sports. Attack wins games, defense wins titles. It's a fact. End of debate. We're going to finish on the gossip uh, from the BBC, of course. So thank you, as always, lads, for putting this together and saving me the hassle. Um, David Ornstein, I mentioned this yesterday, has reported that Liverpool and Spurs are looking at Esri Consa with a view to a summer move. He's fantastic and would do well at either club. Manchester United, Liverpool, Manchester City and Tottenham are all monitoring Schalke's American striker, Matthew Hopp. Uh, I think he's just signed a new contract, and that's from 90minute.com, which means it's made up. Nonsense. France forward Kylian Mbappe has told Paris Saint-Germain he intends to see out the remainder of his contract, which ends in the summer of 2022. This is from a Spanish outlet who I would bet are very much hoping Mbappe goes to Real Madrid, and the only way he can go to Real Madrid is if he becomes a free agent. So... I wouldn't put much stock into it. I think he'll probably end up being sold uh, either this season or they'll do like a one-year extension and sell him on from there. But I, I don't see him leaving as a free. It would be incredible mismanagement if PSG allowed him to leave on a free. Tottenham manager Jose Mourinho's position is not under immediate threat, but he has been scrutinized by the club, increasingly scrutinized uh, after the recent form. Um, I, don't, I don't even know what that means. In what way is he being scrutinized? Like, have they decided, oh, we, we better check out how this fella's doing? Let's look at the results, lads. It's just such nonsense. Um, Manchester City and Germany midfielder Ilkay Gundogan says he wants to move into management once his playing days are over. If he is as good a manager as he is a player, he's going to be one of the best in the world. Um, West Ham and England midfielder Jesse Lingard says he didn't get his chance at Manchester United when football resumed after the first coronavirus lockdown. He's currently on loan, obviously, at West Ham from United. Uh, This is a bit of a strange one because he he played quite a bit last season, didn't he? 
Um, he played 22 games in the Premier League, 40 in all competitions. So I can't see how he can claim he didn't get his chance. He played 40 times. He managed one goal in the Premier League, zero assists. Um, I'm not sure how claim he didn't get enough of a chance. He played 40 times across the season and you were garbage all year long. Enjoy your loan. Do well. Find a permanent move. If it's West Ham, great. If not, you'll go somewhere else. But move on. You're not... Jesse Lingard isn't good enough to start for Manchester United. If they want to be a serious team winning things... Jesse Lingard is a good squad player, but he's not good enough to start. And if he wants to be a starter, he should be elsewhere. The FA Cup and Carabao Cup finals have been lined up as test events for the return of crowds before major sporting events this summer. It's nonsense. Absolute nonsense. This is more of the government trying to pacify people rather than just telling them the truth. And been honest, as they should have been from day one, about what's going on and how far away we are from things getting back to normal. These lockdowns are going to continue because they need to. And the UK is as bad as any country in the world right now for COVID. Most countries won't allow travellers from the UK in. But you're going to crowd people into a stadium. That seems like a great plan, doesn't it? It's not going to happen. Chelsea are the only Premier League club to have offered a contract to Bayern Munich and Austria defender David Alaba. That's not true. Uh, the 28-year-old's deal expires at the end of the season. Again, this is from 90minutes.com. You should just give up because they just publish trash. It's just not true that they're the only English club. It, it just isn't true. Um, Manchester, sorry, Southampton are interested in signing Angiers French midfielder Angelino Fulgini. The Saints tried to sign him in January. Don't know much about him, but Angiers have produced a couple of good players over the last few years, so, you know, maybe. Norwich have told Bayern Munich they will have to pay 30 to £35 million to sign English defender Max Ahrens. Max Ahrens is an excellent young right-back. Bayern need a right-back. It makes sense. He's very, very talented. I think he'd do quite well there, especially in their system. Um, Uruguay forward Luis Suarez has a clause in his Atletico Madrid contract that would allow him to leave for free in the summer but he has no intention of triggering it as he's happy at the club. I think this was to line up so that him and Messi could go to the same place. So it will just depend on what Messi does and whether that club wants Suarez as well, I guess. Um, England under-21 midfielder Jamal Musiala is set to sign a new five-year deal at Bayern. He is a fantastic talent, and England better hope he picks them over... um, them over Germany, who he's also eligible to play for. Bayern are all set to sign Reading's Omar Richards. Again, I just I don't know if I like this deal. It seems like an enormous leap. He's not whoever this whoever wrote this kicker have him down has been seventeen. He's twenty three. Um, I don't like this move for him. To be totally honest, I think there's. Premier League clubs that could have done with him and he like he would have been a really good signing for Arsenal as a backup to Kieran Tierney 
I think he's going to get lost in the shuffle at Bayern and probably end up in the second team. But look, if he wants to go and experience it, great. I hope he does really well. Uh, AC Milan are eyeing a move for 21-year-old Len centre-back Fecunda Medina, who is also a target for Manchester United. I mean, he's good, but Loic Bidet is stood next to him, who's better. So I don't know why you would um, be be doing that. He's also more of a left-back than he is a centre-back. So, you know, seems like an odd one. And um, I, I love this. Tottenham captain Harry Kane has privately told friends that under pressure manager Jose Mourinho has his full backing. He's privately told his friends, how do you know? Football insider. Make this stuff up. Just make this stuff up. Unless you're friends with him, he hasn't told you. So unless one of his friends isn't really a friend, you've made it up, haven't you? Um, that's it. That's the gossip for today. Um... One thing that happened yesterday was Jurgen Klopp gave a press conference and announced that he had not quit or was not planning to quit. And Jordan Henderson confirmed that the rumoured altercation, we'll call it, between Alison Becker and Andy Robertson was a, a figment of some idiot on Twitter's imagination. Now, there were messages going around from someone claiming to work for the club in the social media department saying that Klopp was going, that he was going to take a, a leave of absence, but the belief was he wouldn't come back, similar to what happened with Buvac. Um Liverpool need to get to the bottom of, of where that's come from. It may just be that it's someone spoofing and pretending to work for the club, but if it is someone that works for the club, that's kind of worrying. Um, that's it. That's the show for today. Lubo, you're in the bin, son. Thank you, Guy Drinkle. Thank you to uh, everybody for listening and thank you to Fox Hunt for the title music. I'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.